Hello, it's Friday 2nd of February. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bauman and I will be rounding up the top eight travel and tourism talking points from January. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So here we are, one month already into 2024. All eyes in the region at the moment are on the upcoming Lunar New Year travel season, which starts next week. But how has Southeast Asia started the year in travel and tourism terms? Hannah and I have put together a list of January's top eight talking points, which include visa-free travel arrangements, a single ASEAN airline, and a MICE sustainability certification. So, Hannah, a curious month in many ways. Where should we start? Let's just start how we normally like to do. Let's do some stats roundups. And of course, it's January. So that means a lot of countries are all been releasing their 2023 full year international arrival stats. So to give you a flavor of who we are, of course, we have Thailand at the top, 28.2 million international arrivals. Interestingly, about 20 million of those are from APAC and 4.6 million are from Malaysia alone. Um, So Malaysia has um, really been propping up Thailand's tourism industry, perhaps to the the detriment um, of its own, let's say. So Thailand hit about 70% of 2019 levels. Um, Following behind Thailand, then it really depends which number you are going to follow. So I was just sharing with Gary had a very interesting one for Malaysia um, this week. So Malaysia Tourism Ministry has not kind of officially released the stats um, on their, their website, but we have had two conflicting statements from the Minister for Tourism and the Director General of uh, MOTAC, which is the Ministry of Tourism, Arts and Culture, saying two completely different things within one day of each other. Um, so the Tourism Minister has said there were 26 million um, international arrivals for Malaysia, uh, the DG said there were 18 million. So not sure <laughs> what what the the actual number is there. Um, perhaps leaning towards 18 million, uh, as we know. And I, I went on the rant. I think at the beginning of January there was a, that whole stat that was completely taken out of context around uh, those who had crossed immigration points. But we know that that's not quite the same as international arrivals. So Malaysia's probably probably number two. Uh, not officially. Uh, following up behind that, we have Singapore, which hit 13.6 million. Again, about 71% of those 2019 levels. Following Singapore, we have Vietnam at 12.6 million, 70% again. We have Indonesia, 11.6 million at about 72%. So again, it's that 72% mark. Following them, we have the Philippines, 5.5 million. A little bit lower there, recovery 66%. And strangely enough, Cambodia, also 5.45 million arrivals, 5.5 million arrivals, um, 82% of their 2019 levels though. And at the bottom, we have Myanmar at 1.28 million, which I would definitely take with a grain of salt. I am not convinced that that is the true tourism arrivals, but that is what the Junta has reported. Uh, Nevertheless, 29% of 2019 levels. Um, So if we're going to be looking ahead 2024, what are some of those targets? Uh, I mean, Thailand, again, depending what media you read, is maybe 35 to 40 million. So they got 28 million last year, so another 10 million. 
Singapore, about 15 to 16 million, so still less in 2019. Philippines, 7.7 million, so still less. So everybody is still, they're still not forecasting a full recovery, basically, this year, um, with the exception of perhaps Thailand um, and Malaysia, whose, whose targets are apparently 30 million, but that's from the same tourism minister who said it's 26 million um, arrivals last year. But if you look at January, actually, so far, so we've only had two countries report their arrivals for January, but it's looking pretty good. I mean, Vietnam had 1.5 million. Um, that's the highest they've had yet since the pandemic. Um, and Thailand from just the 1st to the 28th of January, so they've still got another three days, hit 2.74 million. So the year is starting strong for those countries who have reported their arrivals. And as we just keep saying, let's see what the trends are as, as we go through 2024. Yeah, some interesting stats there, Hannah. We'll come uh, on to Singapore more specifically in a moment. There's a, one of the stories we want to talk about is is there. Um, I always tend to use those as a baseline in terms of their projecting because they tend to report in the most detail and they are very, very rationally calibrated their statistics. And I think the interesting statistic that really shines out of, that, of all of the things that you just said there, Hannah, is 13.6 million arrivals to Singapore in 2023, but they're only really targeting between 15 and 16 million in 2024. It's not a huge uplift, is it? And I think that is kind of a barometer of there's hope and there's expectation across the region, but there's also a great degree of caution. There are so many factors across the next 11 months that could impact um, travel and tourism around the region. And Singapore seems to be hedging its bets slightly there, I would say. Yeah, that's definitely a very cautious target compared to uh, some of the other destinations who are... (laughs) aiming high as always. So in general, I would say, Hannah, I don't know what you think, that's a pretty positive 2023 in visitor arrivals terms, probably at the upper level of what could be expected after, you know, the severe disruption of the previous years and the fact that the Chinese market really was slow to recover, although we'll talk about that again in a moment. But when you place it in a global context, not just Southeast Asia, but Asia Pacific in general, is still playing catch up with the rest of the region, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at the United Nations tourism outlook, for that kind of more broader context, you know, they were noting that international tourism is probably going to hit back those pre-pandemic levels this year. But last year, APAC was really still still the laggard. So um, they reached about 65% of pre-pandemic levels, but it was mixed. Um, so South Asia hit up about 87% of those 2019 levels. Northeast Asia, around 55%. So again, it just depends which region you're in. But, you know, Gary, like you said earlier, it's undeniable that that China reopening and it being slower than everybody would have liked really dragged the region back, given our dependence on the Chinese market anyhow. Yeah. And and looking globally, you know, the the strength, the growth market really globally at the moment is is the Middle East. You know, its it's recovery uh, has been really, really strong. Some of the countries did remain partially open during the pandemic, um, but it really is flying at the moment. And, you know, we know in Southeast Asia that it has such an impact on inbound and outbound travel across different markets in Southeast Asia. So the impact of Middle East in 2024 and 2025, certainly one to watch, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So we were just talking about China playing this this huge role in tourism recovery and also Singapore kind of being a bit uh, cautious. But of course, the, the big news for January and I mean, it was news in December, but it's actually happened now in January, were these visa-free agreements that have been signed between Singapore with China and Thailand with China. 
Gary, tell us more. Yeah, so you're right. I mean, you mentioned the big news. I mean, it's been everywhere, hasn't it? It's been reported uh, across the media repeatedly that these visa-free agreements by Singapore, Thailand especially, uh, Malaysia also has a a different uh, agreement in place, that they're going to actually facilitate a a real upsurge in Chinese visitation um, to the region in 2024. Let's wait and see. You know, the hype and the reality, sometimes a little bit divorced. Visa-free is very, very important to the Chinese market. Of course, it lowers the cost of travel to Southeast Asia, makes it much easier as well for for travel groups uh, to arrange, and and it removes a lot of the bureaucracy and administration of arriving in a country. Uh, And those those are, you know, key um, factors uh, when you're when they're looking to plan trips, but you look at the agreements, and essentially, in many ways, Hannah, we're going back to a pre-pandemic landscape. You know, this isn't revolutionary, although some of the terms of the agreements are slightly different. But visa-free access was for key markets, particularly China, was something that we we got used to from sort of 2016, 2017, 2018, and we're now returning back to that landscape after the the borders that were erected for travel during COVID nineteen. So the two key key ones that you mentioned are Singapore and Thailand with China. Thailand, I think, is the most interesting because it's a permanent mutual exemption, as it's called, uh, for two-way travel. So 30 days visa-free travel for Chinese visitors to Thailand and Thai visitors to China. Uh, This comes into force on the 1st of March. And it follows up, if you remember, we were talking back at the end of last year, Hannah, there was a temporary 30-day visa exemption, which Thailand put in place for Chinese travelers. Uh, That ran from 25th of September last year through the 25th of February this year, you know, covering what is the the key um, peak travel season for for Thailand. So that's Thailand's uh, version, which comes into effect on the 1st of March. Singapore has a similar deal in place uh, with Thailand. It's a two-way deal, a a 30-day visa exemption for Singaporean travelers, to China and Chinese travelers to Singapore. That comes into effect earlier, though. That comes into effect on the 9th of February, which, of course, is the Chinese New Year's Eve. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it, for Thailand? I mean, they're saying that this could attract 8 million um, Chinese visitors in 2024. As you pointed out, Gary, actually, this, this isn't new. Even from last year, from uh, October, they had this visa exemption visa waiver for Chinese to come into Thailand. So uh, yes, it's it's great. Yes, it makes the news. And yes, I mean, Trip.com has reported that um, search terms for Thailand grew by more than seven times month on month um, because of this. But actually, it's, it, nothing as much has changed other than the fact that it's, it's a permanent arrangement. Um, but as you say, you know, it, it does make the difference to Chinese travellers, whether it will make the difference that governments here are hoping. It's hard to say, isn't it? I totally agree with you. I think it's, you know, this is government driven. This is policy driven um, by governments who understand policy perhaps a little bit better than they understand tourism. But I've been talking to a few media this week and I've been positing this question back to media. If, If you really look at what will be the key markets, the five key markets for Chinese visitors, over the Lunar New Year period and probably throughout 2024. Those four, in whichever order you choose them, will be Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Japan, and South Korea. Now, at present, only three of those, Singapore, Thailand, and Malaysia, offer visa-free access. The other two do not. And if all countries in Asia-Pacific offered visa-free access throughout the year to Chinese tourists, would those top five markets be any different? 
Probably not. <laughs> Great point. Yep, probably not. And I'm sure that Japan and South Korea have their have their eyes on doing something very, very similar soon. Um, so that little competitive advantage for Southeast Asia may soon be eroded um, pretty fast, I would imagine. Absolutely. So let's move on. That's that's our top three so far for January. Number four, Hannah, and this is uh, interesting, really, because last week was the ASEAN Tourism Forum in Vientiane in Laos. Uh, you were involved in curating the the conference at that uh, event, which went really, really well. It was great. We'll talk about that um, probably on a, on a later show. Um, but coming out of the ASEAN Tourism Forum, which has three different components to it, so it has the tourism conference for the tourism industry, it has a travel exhibition, and it also brings together the tourism ministers from the ASEAN countries to, as they do, talk about policy and that kind of thing. They have this annual meeting. It marks the start of the new year of uh, presidency of ASEAN, and this year, of course, uh, the president is Laos. Next year, it will be Malaysia. But Hannah, a couple of stories that you picked up came out of that, um, which are quite interesting, I think. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's like every year. Um whenever you have these tourism ministers meeting right and they you always get the stories about cross collaboration we're going to mutually promote one another um there are some wild ideas in there there was a uh, proposal for direct flights between bali and long prabang which i thought was interesting given that to to even fly from kuala lumpur to vientiane we have to transit via bangkok and it takes about 6 hours so i thought maybe they just need to get <laughs> direct flights in place first <laughs> so the main areas before we like start looking at um connecting these these more secondary tourism destinations. So sure, why not? We can do a, a Bali, Bali Laos um tour, but re- realistically speaking, I think that's um, some way off. But one idea that I, I saw um pop up and it actually wasn't ATF, it was at the uh, the World Economic Forum in Davos um the week before was that the Thai Prime Minister has proposed a seamless ASEAN framework. And he's talked about this before, actually. This is not the first time that he has uh, raised this idea. Sorry, at least in December, he was talking about this. But this idea of almost a kind of EU-Schengen kind of setup, right, where you've got harmonised tax incentives, visa-free cross-border movements. But interestingly, he was saying that he was pretty optimistic and agreement on seamless tourism. So I think this visa-free cross-border movements doesn't go into exactly what seamless tourism means. But across Laos, Thailand, Cambodia and Vietnam could be in place um, within six months. You know, he, he told Nikkei Asia uh, there are just two or three more blocks um, to clear. Didn't really elaborate what those blockages were. But that would be super interesting. Imagine if we finally managed to have some areas within ASEAN who do have these kind of harmonized visa policies where tourists with just one visa from one of these countries would be able to visit the other, which is exactly how um, Schengen visa works Right when you go to, to Europe, um, particularly for those countries where visas are required. So I'm thinking Vietnam, Laos, this could make a, a really big difference to those kind of cross-border movements um into some of these countries yeah it is interesting and i I noticed uh what a couple of days later the malaysian tourism minister sort of ran with this inversion of its own concept as well uh looking at uh, cross-border self-drive travel and saying a similar thing could be in place as you just said there but between the four countries of malaysia thailand laos and vietnam so i mean you know kind of similar concepts um, just kind of packaged to local markets and you know how you how you explain that to to your own um 
national markets. Uh, but it, it does seem as though there's some move towards doing this, Hannah, I agree. Um, but will it move as quickly as, as, as prospectively? You said it could be happening in the first half of the year. Is that possible? Oh, no. All right. I, I think we, I mean, if, if ASEAN couldn't even during COVID when there was an absolute imperative to be able to ease those kind of entry requirements between their ASEAN countries to kickstart their tourism industries, to kickstart their economies, and they didn't manage to get that in place then when there was an absolute need to, I have my doubts in this very competitive you know, environment that we're in in 2024. Everybody's competing for the tourists that this this kind of cooperation will come off with uh, urgency, I think. Yeah, I, I would kind of agree with that. I mean, it is a different landscape now. I think perhaps... Um, you know, the, the policymakers are starting to realize that tourism isn't just about inbound, outbound. You know, there's, there are much more uh, complicated elements of people wanting to to visit different countries during their trips, that kind of thing. And that's starting to come back. Whereas, you know, in perhaps early after COVID, it was simply inbound, outbound. But yeah, you're right. I mean, whether this could actually happen so quickly, we, we have to remain skeptical, but we should remain hopeful, I guess. Yes, good. Skeptical, but hopeful. <laughs> so moving on then and you you teased this one earlier Gary but it's looking at Singapore and Changi airports uh, 2023 passenger traffic which has now recovered to 86% of pre-covid levels. Um so they noted they'd had a very strong kind of Q4 growth. They had top 5 passenger arrivals from Indonesia, Malaysia, Australia, Thailand and India. Chinese passenger movements alone were about 4 million. Um, and they really noted there was this upswing in strong outbound travel demand and growing inbound travel. So that's a pretty positive sentiment, at least for outbound travel from Singapore, and that more people are, are looking perhaps to, to travel to Singapore or transit, right, Gary? Yeah, I think so. And I think that the interesting thing about, I mean, you know, 80, 86% rebound in terms of passenger arrivals to Changi Airport <clears throat> is extremely impressive. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That is a great recovery. Um, and, you know, we always talk about Hannah, you know, Changi Airport is is the baseline for the region. It's the best airport. It's probably the best connected. And it's, you know, it, its service quality is by far the highest. Um, so for it to be actually um, reconnecting at that level is very, very high. But I think the most interesting factor is at the top of the show, we were talking about, you know, aggregate arrivals figures to all the countries in the region. And I think the Singapore figures show that when you actually delve below the aggregate, when you start to look at the details, uh, it really, really shows you some of the trends that happened throughout the year of 2023, because it really was, and we were talking about this a year ago, Hannah, it was a year of progression. It was a year of gradual increase and more and more arrivals quarter by quarter. And when you look at the, the Singapore Changi figures, you know, that really kind of comes through that by the fourth quarter, it was at 90% recovery compared to 2019. Uh, whereas in the beginning of the year, it was 79%. But even at the start of the year, 79% regionally was a very, very strong figure. So there was some good analysis by Brendan Sobey, uh, aviation consultant based in Singapore, uh, who's hopefully coming on the show in the next few weeks. And he looked at where Changi actually stands now compared to where it was pre-pandemic. So in 2023, for the second consecutive year, Changi was the largest international airport in Asia with 58.9 million passengers. Second was Incheon in uh, South Korea with 55.8 million. Bangkok was third, Bangkok Subhanapum with 40 million. And Hong Kong 
still recovering more slowly than everybody else, was in fourth with 39.5 million. If you compare that to 2019, Hong Kong was the busiest airport in the region. Incheon, South Korea was number two and Changi was number three. So I think what, what those figures that we've seen for 2023 show, Hannah, is that there is a recalibration. Hong Kong is still catching up, but it will, uh, I think, through 2024, accelerate much, much faster. Uh, but it shows that, you know, the major airports are realigning back to where they were uh, before the pandemic. It's just, you know, that the figures are still a little bit different, which shows you just how in flux, really, the industry still is in 2023 and probably will be in 2024. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. So it's it's just, uh, as we keep saying, let's see how it how it plays out and what these new patterns are. Is it that Changi's just going to dominate now? Um, are they just going to be at the top or are the other two going to slowly um, inch their way past them? And it's quite interesting, just uh, I think yesterday, uh, Singapore Tourism Board have said that weekly flights between China and Singapore have now recovered to 100% of pre-pandemic levels. Not since the beginning of Feb. Um, so that's really going to help Changi to, to keep that edge. Yeah. And, and again, if you look at that compared to the first quarter of last year, I mean, it's a massive increase, you know, throughout the year, the, the, the increase was, was, was really significant. I think your point is a good one, you know, whether Changi, you know, it, it's got new airport, uh, it's got new air routes than it had before the pandemic. It's flying, you know, airlines are just flying differently than they did before. So, you know, those comparisons to 2019 have some value, but in other areas, you know, we are seeing a great deal of change. So, you know, that's where this this whole 2019 comparison sometimes falls down because we are just in a different world right now. And I think that's uh, going to become even more pronounced in 2024. Absolutely. So let's move away from Singapore, go south to Indonesia. Um, and so Indonesia is one of these stories that it started out the month as a story and it's kind of ended as a, a non-story. And this is around this proposed increase in entertainment tax rates for service providers. So these tax rates would have affected venues like nightclubs, karaoke lounges, bars, but even spas um, are also classified uh, under this entertainment tax bracket currently in Indonesia. Um, and so the, 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 the current tax rate was 10 to 35 percent. The government was proposing to increase that between 40 to 75%. So as you can imagine, there was pretty much uproar um, from the private sector saying, how can you do this? They were calling for a judicial review, saying you know, that businesses, and particularly the, the Indonesian Hotel and Restaurant Association, saying that businesses weren't consulted in this legislative process, saying, you know, this might end up with some of the smaller businesses who've just been hanging on still, still not seeing that recovery going under that's going to lead to job losses and so it was put into a judicial review um, and just yesterday uh, Pak Sandi uh, the tourism minister in uh, Indonesia announced there will be no increase in entertainment tax but it's gone a little bit further than that and he said and this is not, still not law yet you know just an announcement still but that spas will later not be classed as entertainment venues either um, so they will be able to be nudged in a different way because of course this kind of wellness tourism is an area that Indonesia really wants to focus on too. Yeah, that's an interesting story. It's one of those that I think we saw throughout 2023, didn't we, that these these Bali or Indonesia stories emerge and then sort of get smoothed out and then, you know, get get resolved and then become a non-story. But I think this one really scared the industry, didn't it? Because that's that would have been a huge hike. Yeah, absolutely. I mean you're jumping up to 75% and it was previously 35% if you're 
you know, you're, you're looking at the spend of tourists and thinking, poor, how, how are we even going to survive? But yeah, I love that. Bali stories coming and going. I'm looking forward to the uh, the February roundup where we'll inevitably talk about the Bali tourism tax, which they're implementing, uh, I think, on 14th of February this month. So uh, yeah, but listen out for that one. I'm sure, sure there's going to be news going on about the implementation and what happens. Yeah, so watch this space. So we'll move on to number seven of our top eight for January. Uh, I'll talk a moment a little bit about Capital A's vision of a single airline across ASEAN, Hannah. But the standout part of this, I think, is uh, as you put onto our list, Bangkok to be the Dubai of ASEAN. Please explain. Uh, Yes. So Tony Fernandez uh, went over to Thailand uh, and met the prime minister to just discuss general aviation measures, you know, helping to boost the Thailand's tourism industry. They want a reduction in excise tax on uh, jet fuel for domestic routes. And we're saying that Thailand is actually one of the few countries that still has this mandate. Um, but he uh, he stressed to PM, he said, it's time for Bangkok to be the Dubai of ASEAN, where 700 million passengers from this region can use the airport in Bangkok as a hub to travel to Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. So, hey, Gary, may- maybe in a, in a year's time, it's going to be Bangkok's fun and boom at the top of the list. <laughs> oh, he, he's just brilliant for sound bites though isn't he he knows mm. how to talk to the industry he knows how to talk to the media he's brilliant at that uh, and you know that's why he's so successful so the second part of this story is not just about Bangkok being uh, the Dubai of ASEAN but it's actually about the reorganization of the aviation group of Air Asia, which you know we've seen throughout the pandemic we know that AirAsia and AirAsia X which was its sort of longer haul low-cost carrier, went very, very close to bankruptcy. You know, they couldn't get any government funding. Um, They were very, very exposed to China markets, which, you know, were closed for three years. And so Tony Fernandez and the team completely reorganized the the corporation. They've put it into these different units. They're focusing very, very much on their new, as they call it, a super app, which is, you know, it's going to be all sorts of different things. Uh, Something we'll be talking about next week, um, looking at the lifestyle sector, not just travel and tourism. But the big announcement at the beginning of this uh, year was that Air Asia X would now actually acquire all of the aviation businesses of Air Asia. So Air Asia itself flies, I think, in what is it, four different countries. So Thailand, Indonesia and the Philippines and, of course, its home base, which is Malaysia. All of those air, air, airlines, which are separate entities, will come under the banner of Air Asia X. It's a corporate reorganization, and in general, that's not of much interest. But having said that, I was looking back, AirAsia announced its aviation uh, report from 2023, its its corporate earnings and its its different figures. And if, when you pour down through them, they're quite interesting. So the, the group across those four airlines, Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, and the Philippines, uh, carried nearly 57 million passengers across 2023. That's about 77% of 2019. But as we would expect in Southeast Asia, uh, the highest level of recovery was in domestic markets, which was 82%, uh, whereas the international recovery for AirAsia is still at 72%, so you know, quite a way back. But then when you dig down and you look at the individual countries, that's also quite interesting. So AirAsia Indonesia and AirAsia Thailand, they're by far... Uh, ahead of the recovery curve. So I think Indonesia has recovered to about 90% of where it was in 2019, Thailand 85%, whereas Malaysia is at 72% and Philippines 77%. So there's still, you know, a differentiation across the region, which again, Hannah, I think it just shows us 
that the whole region is recovering at different rates and that will continue you know that's not going to be solved in 2024 perhaps not even in 2025 yeah i mean and tire asia has even come out and said that the the, the merger with uh, tire asia and tire asia x if you remember them um may well have to wait two to three years because Tire Asia X is still under this business rehabilitation plan, um, which might only happen late 2025. Um, so it's it's not as straightforward as you say to merge everything. And um, one other thing that I found was kind of interesting when they were talking about this merger is that they said they expect to resume flight services to Europe, Africa, North and South America by the end of 2024. I mean, and there's, there's been news from the Philippines out that the they want to try and use Philippines as a hub to fly to the US and they, they can't let go of this this long haul dream, can they? It's, it's back again. No, and I guess, you know, that's probably part of the uh, the deal with who, whoever's funding this, the stakeholders, the, the shareholders, they, um, they're going to be looking for growth and, and growth will have to come from, as you say, not just within the region, but uh, externally as well. So, yep, yeah, there's a lot of regulatory uh, issues to overcome for this. The announcement, I think, which was made on, the Jan- on January the 8th, um, nobody expects this, expects this to happen quickly, but it is in, it's interesting. I think it just in the next phase of of Air Asia's journey, wherever it goes in future, and you know from where it's come from over the past twenty what twenty thirty years, uh, and then how it was just so disrupted by COVID nineteen. It's interesting to see they do have these ideas and the, this optimism to make this happen. Um, you know, as you said, Hannah, whether it actually happens and, and and to what degree it happens, we just have to wait and see. Yeah. So our last story brings us back to Singapore, but slightly different trek and looking at mice and sustainability this time. Um, So the Singapore Association of Convention and Exhibition Organisers and Suppliers has developed a Singapore Mice Sustainability Certification, um, being supported by Singapore Tourism Board. So it's quite interesting. I mean, this is a new framework. It's going to do certification itself. So it's going to grade businesses bronze silver or gold tiering they have an auditing process and it applies for event organizers even the stand builders the venues fmb caterers the transport operators freight forwarders even the technology and the av providers so it really um kind of covers the the, the breadth of the, the mice industry and it's great you know i hope that this is something that can also be adopted across different countries. And it's just, as we always point out, Singapore tends to be a bit of a, a pioneer, a bit of a forerunner when it comes to really looking at sustainability. Of course, they have the advantage in that they're small. There's probably only a limited number of members who are doing um, who are within the mice industry. Um, but small step for good, I think. Yeah, I think small step and also a huge competitive advantage, isn't it, when it's trying to attract, uh, you know, mice business from around the world. If it has those certifications and uh, those regulations in place, uh, you know, it, it really stands out, as, as you said, as a, as a leader in the region, um, regardless of its size. And, you know, you you'd think that the other countries in the region will have to look very, very carefully if they're going to compete um, with that kind of shift in the way that travel industry looks at climate impact and those kinds of things it it will have an impact i think on the market yeah you're right i mean it it is a huge competitive advantage particularly if they are attracting mice business from european markets where you know companies really have to declare how sustainable they are um, and increasingly um, the north american markets too so to be able to attract that kind of business and can go out and say this is exactly what we're doing and we've audited these things and you know this this is a certification to be trusted i think we'll go miles for them 
Yeah, agree with that. So with that, that brings us to a close of the show for this week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on anything we discussed or anything we missed out. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yep. And as always, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And you can find us on any international podcast platform. So that's a wrap for today. But we'll be back on Tuesday with a special guest to discuss the outlook for concert tourism as Taylor Swift kickstarts her Asia tour in Tokyo.